Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. At Redeemer, we are committed to connecting people to God's transforming love. And I hope this podcast is just one more way that you connect to God's presence this week. We are kicking off the new year with a six-part series called 2020, Where is Your Focus? In this series, we'll explore areas in our lives that need a little or a lot of refocusing. In part one from January 5th, 2020, our senior pastor, Bill Clark, shares on vision for the year and three essential areas we can focus on. So here is week one of 2020 with Pastor Bill Clark. Morning, Redeemer. It's great to see you. And this morning we have um, a new series that we're starting called 2020. So we do these series, preaching series, from six weeks, four weeks, some of them eight weeks, whatever they might be. And a couple times a year, some of our staff get together and we start bringing ideas and we say, hey, here's some ideas for some series in the future about what our folks need to hear. So the last time we did this was in the fall, and, and I brought, I thought, some really great ideas. <laughs> Not a one of them was bought into by the rest of the group, but anyway... But um, Daniel Bunn saved us. So Daniel Bunn said there's one time, one year, when, when we'll have 2020 vision. Night, you know, it's 2020, and so here we are in 2020, thinking about our vision for the new year, thinking of what, um, what the new year might be like. I would define vision as a picture of a preferred future for you, for your family, for your work, and especially for your faith. So a picture of a preferred future. Whatever your current reality is, vision is saying, here's where we would like to be in all of those areas. And this morning, I want to focus on on our spiritual lives and what our vision for the future might be and what it might look like. So the question would be, what would be your preferred future for the next 12 months? What would be your preferred future now, there's a whole bunch of other areas we could talk about. You know, I'm, <clears throat> we're five days into the New Year's resolutions, which I made uh, some sort of semblance of a sense of New Year's resolutions on January 1st, had some time. I said I was going to eat fewer sweets. I was going to exercise more. And there was one other, but I don't remember it. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't done it. Anyway, so I walk into church this morning, and there are the donuts and coffee. Don't blame us. We just give you what you want. So I've already blown my New Year's, blown my New Year's resolutions. I think if we think about our New Year's resolutions, the ones that have to do with our spiritual life clearly have the most weight consequence for our life. And I want to begin by starting to read from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As I read, I want you to picture the, the scene of this. John the Apostle is in exile on the, on the island of Patmos. He's in an exile there. He's the only one of the original disciples of Jesus who wasn't put to death. They had mercy on him, so to speak, and they, they put him on an island all alone, completely alone off of Greece. And there John was, exiled on this island, um, living life, seeing this vision of the future, which the revelation is, but it's also a picture of the present. So it's both a prophecy of the future, but it's, it's clearly also a, a kind of a snapshot of what's going on in the world at the time. 
And so in John chapter 21, he says, or the revelation of John chapter 21, he says, the first, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, and so had the sea. Just a parenthetical comment. Why is the sea threatening? Well, he's talking about the Mediterranean. But if you were living on an island and you were surrounded by the Mediterranean Ocean, you were trapped. You couldn't go anywhere. If you were the Apostle Paul or one of the other apostles making missionary journeys, you couldn't go anywhere safely on land or on sea. The sea was filled with creatures. The sea destroyed boats with its storms. The sea was a troubled place. So John says, the first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, and so had the sea. Then I saw the new Jerusalem, his pictures evolving here of what he's seeing, the holy city coming down from God in heaven. It was like a bride dressed in her wedding gown and ready to meet her husband. I heard a voice shout from the throne, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home with his people. He will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things are of the past, and they are gone forever. So this is an intricate, beautiful, literary reading. It's the Word of God, too, by the way. This is his reading of the current life being on an island, stranded there. The sea is around him. It's a dangerous place. He can't escape. And then he pictures what the future will be like when Jesus returns. But he reminds us in this that God has already come. God is now with his people. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. God is now with his people. And he will be even more, ever more with his people when he comes again. And God will wipe away all the tears of their, from their eyes. There'll be no more death or suffering or pain any longer. This is a dramatic picture of a preferred future. That's what this is. A dramatic picture of God's preferred future. So John was not just celebrating a new year like we just celebrated. He was really celebrating the gift of all things new. God was going to do a very new thing. You might even say he was saying God's going to start over. And he will. He'll start over again. He'll start this world fresh. One day, John says, all the pains, all the heartaches of this world will be no more. So as we start a new year, as we do so with hope and trust that God is in control and the seemingly runaway world that we live in is, is going to still be subject to God's sovereignty and God's intentions. Nevertheless, we still live in this world, and the new one has not yet arrived. So what do we do? Well, you can do like me and make resolutions, but, um, you know, I went to my little place where I work out, and, and the place was really jammed on Friday. In 30 days, it won't be jammed anymore, right? That's, that's the human condition, right? I walk past the coffee in the lobby. I'm going to have less of it, I say. I don't even need to tell you how many cups of coffee I have. Maybe you can tell I'm a little jittery, you know? 
This is, this is the human condition. We make resolutions, but we don't hardly know how to keep them. So what, what should we do? The beginning of a year, what would be life-giving to us and what would enhance our spirituality, our primary relationship in life being our relationship with God? What would help? So I'm going to offer three things. You've heard them all before, but I'm going to offer three things to resolve, to take care of, or to think about, or to structure, or however you want to put it. Three things in the new year that if we do them, I'm confident we will have gained in our walk with with God, and I'm also confident we will have gained in our own personal contentment. Three things. First one is prayer. The second one is forgiving an enemy. The third one is comforting the afflicted. Let's begin with prayer. I have yet to meet a Christian who hasn't said to me, or I haven't said to them, this about prayer. I wish I prayed more, or secondly, my prayer life is stuck. I just can't seem to find the time to pray. Life just comes at me from so many different directions. I'll set aside a time to pray and the phone will ring or there's a text that comes to me and I feel like I've got to respond. Prayer. It's the essential thing of the Christian life. It's the hardest thing, though, for us to structure. I think a fellow named Robert Barron made it really clear for me, a guy I read over the holidays, He says, the essential in prayer is simply this, make the time, make the time. We won't consistently pray if we don't make the time to pray. It's human nature. We'll get up in the morning, we'll get ready for work or school or whatever it is we do, and we will be busy and we will forget or we will cut short our prayer time But it doesn't matter when you pray. You can pray in the morning. You can pray at night. You can pray at noon. You can pray whenever. But whatever we have to do, we have to make the time. So decide, when's the best time for me? When am I most alert? When would I most like to have a conversation with God? Make the time. And start out with a realistic goal. Don't say, I'm going to pray for an hour if you've been praying for three minutes. Don't, don't make that leap. You won't successfully make that leap. At least it's unlikely. Say to yourself, what 10 or 15 minutes can I give to a conversation with God? Where, by the way, I'm not doing all the talking, but I'm doing a lot of listening. And I want to give you one other wonderful tool that has been extremely helpful to me. Some years ago, I discovered something that has been around since the age of the Apostles. And it's a prayer called the Jesus Prayer. It's prayed every day in every time zone all around the world, 24 hours a day. Right now, as we've gathered together, there are groups of people praying this prayer called the Jesus Prayer somewhere in the world or everywhere around the world. That same island off of Greece, Athnos, where the Apostle Apostle John was exiled, That island is occupied by about a thousand monks from different religious, all Christian groups who gather and whose daily life, 24-7, is to be a monk and to pray the Jesus prayer. Now, you may not be a fan of rote prayers, but this one's pretty unique. 
This one comes uh, from a lot of places in the Gospels, but I'm thinking particularly of Luke chapter 18, verses 17 and 18. And there's a blind man. There's a blind man blind from birth. And he's sitting on the ground, and Jesus walks by. The blind man doesn't see him, obviously, but he hears him. And someone cries out to him that that's Jesus. And his prayer was, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Guess what happened? His eyes opened. He could see. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Many of those first Christians in the first and second century adopted that as their prayer. It's a, it's a prayer right out of Scripture, and it happens a couple of other places in the gospel as, as well. So the, here's this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's what I, that's what I pray to warm up my prayer time because sometimes I just go right into my list of things that I vex, find vexing or difficult or want help with, etc., or for people in the church, etc. I just start out with the Jesus prayer. I repeat it a few times. When the prayer gets stuck, I just say it again. You can say it out loud or, or silently. It doesn't matter. But it has a quality to it of almost a meditative quality. I believe you'll find it calming and peaceful. But whatever you do, whatever you do in the new year to enhance your prayer life, just make time for it. That's the essential thing. Just make time for it. The second thing, the second practice I would recommend for the new year is to forgive an enemy. Now, you may say, I don't really have any enemies. Have you got anybody you hold a grudge against? Have you anybody who said something to you at some point that you've really not quite gotten over? It may have been a long time ago and you still hold on to it. People are like that. We're like that. Forgive an enemy. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. One is the, the, the work of forgiveness, which is not always easy, but it's fairly simple. It's a simple decision to say, I forgive so-and-so for what they did to me or what they said to me or what they implied or told someone else about me, I'm going to forgive them. It's the second thing to be reconciled to them. And some of the people who we need to forgive are not people who are going to be open to a reconciliation. They're just not. Some of them aren't even alive anymore. Some of them are way back in our past. So if you can forgive somebody and reconcile with them, that's awesome. That's great. That's a twofer. And that's a really life-giving thing to do in the new year. Is to contemplate and to pray in your time of prayer, God, are there people I'm holding a grudge against? Are there people that I still, still feel ill at ease with? Maybe there's something that you've done or you've said and you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's a person whom you've offended whom you need to ask for forgiveness. And then do that and watch what happens. Watch what happens when someone says, you're forgiven. It's like life's starting over again. It's like healing happens. It's a wonderful thing. It's an absolutely wonderful thing to do. 
So take seriously the matter of prayer and take seriously the matter of letting the burden fall off of you by forgiving someone who has caused you pain. And finally, nothing is more freeing and more healing for the human soul than to comfort the afflicted. Now, what I mean by afflicted is just anybody who's suffering. Anybody who's suffered a recent loss of the life of someone they loved. Anyone who's got an illness that's really vexing and hard to fix, hard to cure. It could be, um, it could be any number of things that cause afflictions. Could be, the, like I say, the loss of a loved one or a bad turn in your health or a financial setback in someone's life or pain in someone's marriage or a problem with one of their children. Some people who are afflicted or poor or homeless or somehow simply live on the margins of life in our community. Some have broken the law. Some have made other mistakes. Some have just lost the way. Some people are just different and they don't seem to fit into this world or the world we think they ought to live in or they're not like we think they ought to be. So they're afflicted with the pain of that. Whatever it is, offering, offering for someone comfort in those kinds of afflictions is really, really significant. I tell young preachers that I get a chance to work with, and this has been in multiple churches, not just this one, but I, one of the things I learned from a veteran preacher one time, and he caught me because I, I told an illustration and I was essentially making myself the hero of the story. And so afterwards, he cautioned me. He says, don't make yourself the hero of the story. Okay, got it. I don't think I do that anymore. And I, I want to give this as a preface. I am not trying to make myself the hero of the story I'm about to tell you. Okay? And, and it, it'll be obvious that I wasn't. But I just want to, just want to throw that out there. So, comforting the afflicted. As a pastor, I, I get to be in an office, and occasionally people come by with problems. They're generally not a part of the church, although I deal with lots of church folks, but some of these folks are just off the street. They have an affliction of some kind. They're struggling. They, their lives are not the way they need to be. They're poor. They need help. They need something. So occasionally, the doorbell will ring. One of us will go get the door. I'll let them in. And for years, for many years now, back in the early days of Redeemer and still, there's a guy I'll call John. That's not his real name. But there's a guy I'll call John who comes by every now and then. The doorbell will ring. It's John. He, um, he has a lot of problems. He's poor, uh, often homeless. Um, there's lots of health issues. There's a lot of stuff going on with John. And John just wants to come in and talk to me. So I have to admit mixed emotions when he comes. Well, there's John again, okay? But something happens in my conversations with John, and I'm always the better for them. And by the way, due to your generosity through the Deacons Fund, we occasionally help people like John with rent or food or things that we need to do. We, 
we try not to give more than is, than is we don't want it to create dependence, but at the same time, we want to help. So that's sort of tricky, too. But John will come in, he'll sit down in my office, and he'll start telling me about all his problems. And I'm telling you, he, he's got a lot of problems. He is afflicted. He is really afflicted. And I'm not a trained counselor like Joe Scruggs or someone else that you might know. I've had some training, but I'm not a counselor per se. So I just sit there and I pick up a box of Kleenex on my desk. And then generally I get another one from where my ch another chair is because this is going to be a tearful time, okay? And I just sit there and listen to John. I just listen to him and hand him Kleenexes. And I hear the pain and the struggle. And he's not a young man anymore. And I hear the heartache. And I hear the heartbreak of a life that's been really, really, really difficult. Now, in that process of listening to John, something happens. And I don't know why John likes to talk to me. I guess because i got a lot of Kleenexes. I don't know. But something happens just because I'm listening. Just because I'm listening. And you don't have to be highly trained to just listen. And I listened to John and his struggles, and I, I put in a good word for God, but he doesn't usually want to hear that. So I just listen, and I just listen. And pretty soon he gets up. I give him a hug. If he doesn't need anything in particular that day, he just goes on. And I go on, but there's something that's happened inside of me when I've been a person simply available, and again, it's easy for me. I'm, you all are paying me to do this stuff, so I have it really good. As a pastor, I have it really good. But I listen, and we can all listen because there's a lot of pain out there. There is a lot of affliction. There are people in our church who in recent days have lost a loved one. I, I just love to just stand out there in the lobby area of the church and just look at the people who are just tending to the people who are struggling. They're listening. They're offering a comforting word. They've shared a meal together. They've been a part of a service for their loved one. They've, they've gone out of the way just a bit to be a comforter of someone who is afflicted. Now, here's the great mystery of that. At least it is for me, and I think many of you find this to be the case. When John comes in, and yes, sometimes it's an annoyance because I'm interrupted, whatever. But when John comes in to talk to me in those fairly long conversations, I don't know how much good I'm doing for John. But when he leaves, I feel better. I just feel better. I feel like God has given me a little appointment with someone who, whom I know, who has struggles, and he's called on me to listen. I can't fix him. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm not a doctor, but I can listen. So three things that we can do in the new year 
that I would strongly recommend for all of us. The first one is make time to pray. Really make time to pray. Make time for it. The amount of time is not nearly so significant as that it's, that it's consistent and regular. Make time to pray. And if you need a help, pray the Jesus prayer to get started. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say it again if you have to. And then I promise you, it'll put you in a mood, in a sense of being, that you are in touch with the Almighty God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So pray. Secondly, whatever unresolved conflict is in your life, if it's up to you, if it's up to you, offer forgiveness. Forgive that person and move on from that. Forgive it. Forgive him. Forgive her. Move on. Because that person's not bothered by the problem anymore, but you are. And thirdly, God will put people in your path. God will put people in your path every day, wherever you are, wherever you live, work, play, go to school. God will put somebody in your path who's dealing with some kind of an affliction. Just be open to listening. Listening, comforting. You don't have to fix people. That's God's work. Just listen. And then listen for that quiet voice where God says, don't you feel a little bit better that you took the time to comfort the afflicted? Three ideas, three concepts, three crucial things for the new year. May we do them. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for the promise that is ours, that you are with us in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of seasons, but that you long even more than we long for the beauty of a moment of prayer. So Lord, be with us and strengthen us. And strengthen us now as we receive the Lord's Supper together. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.